guys, welcome back to another lecture episode of the Echo Podcast. I'm Amanda and I'm joined here by Maria. Hello. And we're part of the CSC SOC media team. Today we're joined by Sasha, who is a lecturer here at UNSW. Could you please introduce yourself for our listeners today? Sure. Hi, I'm Sasha. Thanks so much for having me um, on here and for having a chat with me. I do love having a good chat. Um, I am the new EF lecturer hire um, at CSE, but I have been around CSE for a very long time as a casual lecturer as well. Perfect. So we'll get started talking about your university life. So you studied computer engineering at UNSW initially. What led you down that path? Ah, what led me? That's a very good question. Um, I guess I've always loved to tinker, even as when I was sort of six, seven, build things, put things together, take things apart, have parts left over. So I went into computer engineering as a part of that. And STEM was always what I was better at. I could see the world in numbers. Um, so kind of cut out a lot of other paths um, and directed me towards either a pure maths degree or <laughs> computer engineering. So is there a reason why you chose computer engineering over computer science or software engineering? Yeah, so that's a big part of it. I suppose this is quite funny. I didn't actually want to do much coding. I wanted to tinker. Mm. <laughs> so that's why I didn't do software engineering. I did computer engineering instead because there was the opportunities to well, what I didn't realise at the time to do half of the electrical engineering degree as well. Oh, it's pretty cool. Just out of interest, yeah. why not just start with like a pure electrical engineering degree? Why computer engineering? Oh, I think, um, I suppose I didn't really know much about electrical engineering when I was um, at school. It was more about computers and computing. And I guess I spent so much time tinkering with computers. I really just kind of went straight to computer engineering without sort of really knowing what it's about, actually, really. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Me too, actually. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so <laughs> moving on a bit, you did a number of dissertations as part of your uni life. Why did you decide to pursue research? Uh, well, it all started as, um, I guess, the first one, the honours one, and I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and then uh, I did a, I did a combined a joint computer engineering degree together with the Masters of Biomedical Engineering. So that was straight away two dissertations before I even sort of graduated first time. Um, and then I went out to do, you know, to industry and I spent a few years in the industry before coming back to do another dissertation whilst working as well, just because... I guess, um, you know, with work, when you go out into the industry, you're doing sort of, especially when you just start out, you're doing sort of all the same stuff and it gets a bit repetitive. So it was fun to go out and research different things in different areas that are there. So I just kept coming back to do dissertations, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you really enjoyed the research process? Um, um, I, I'm not sure how much I enjoyed the process itself, but I really, I love just having this guilt-free time to read about all the cool stuff that people are doing and, um, you know, to actually go out and maybe experiment with something myself. So all of my dissertations basically had experiments and they were sort of user-centered um, because I love, I don't know, trying things out, tinkering, tinkering with people. That's not as good. <laughs> Um, so a couple years later, you went 
back to uni um, to study a doctorate of education. So why did you decide to pursue education as a path? Okay, so I guess, I guess, I mean, I'm a perpetual student, I suppose. I do, I really do actually love learning. Um, and that's why I just kept uh, coming back. Um, I was, it's nice of you to say a couple of years. I think it was about 10 years before I went back to do a doctorate. Um, but I, so throughout that whole time, I did a lot of teaching. Um, I was doing a lot of tutoring at the time and um, seeing a lot of sort of um, inefficient ways that were being used to teach. And I was wondering if there is sort of better ways to teach because it felt, especially when I was working with kids, it felt like they really kind of wanted to move more uh, when they were learning. And there was, you know, such a range of the way they learned. And it's true for adults as well, because as a student at university, even I had a very particular way of learning and it did not always fit the mold of how a subject was taught. So I was I'm particularly interested in how we can teach things better. Um, so that's why I decided to pursue education um, as my doctorate. I was interested in learning more of the theory behind how to teach better. Yeah. Um, what was your main takeaway then? Um, what was like the biggest thing that you learned could help you like teach better? Oh, well, my area always has been, uh, even when I was doing computer dissertations and HCI, um, then going to applying it to education. So the area of research is cognitive load theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it just makes so much sense. It's basically um, when we learn, there is a certain cognitive load associated with that. So how much of our brain power is taken up by the learning, how much of it is taken up by the materials that are presented to us and are taking away from the actual learning taking place. So I feel like that makes so much sense and it also talks about the use of worked examples in the way you teach and the use you know have problem solving techniques which is particularly important in programming um, and so that's really the biggest takeaway is if we would just you know cater a little bit more to how people actually think how our brains function and all the limitations that there are on our short-term memory uh, we could perhaps improve the way that we teach, but also different people have different ways that they learn the best. So it's interesting to try and combine all of that together, but there is a huge diversity. Ah, uh, okay. Um, seeing as you did like a lot of multidisciplinary study, um, how does that like influence the way you see education? Well, it's, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I guess it's, so uh, I, you guys would have probably seen this as well, but I feel like uh, in every like stream of, you know, engineering, education, law, um, everyone has slightly, they learn slightly differently as well. It's been fascinating to see that, um, well, I suppose you always know that everyone is different, but once you start teaching in different areas, you kind of really... Uh, you see the way different schools also present different information and how different things are being taught. So it's been interesting. But the multidisciplinary thing, I think, um, is quite useful because you can bring things from other schools and from other streams into engineering and into computer engineering in particular and try things out and see if they would perhaps work. I'm not sure it's always a big experiment. Yes, yeah, so like you said, teaching ComSci is often about teaching way, not just facts and stats. What are your thoughts on this and how can we encourage more students to approach ComSci in this way? 
Yeah, so I really, 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 really believe that um, CompSci, especially when you start, it's got nothing to do with the programming languages, but it's a really different way of thinking. And um, everyone is always so rushed to get into programming. Everyone is always so rushed to start coding that they don't think about how they actually need to solve the problem um, or, you know, practice any problem solving techniques. And I think, well, this is one of my theories, perhaps an experiment in the making in the 1511 run, is that um, we need to be teaching better problem solving techniques before we approach um, the code as well. And this is also something you should take out to industry. You know, if you go out there and you start coding straight away, often you completely miss what you actually needed to code. So first you really need to understand the problem and you need to solve the problem without any code before you can actually add code to it. The syntax is usually the easiest stuff um, in comparison to solving the huge problem. Um, so I really think that they do go hand in hand, um, but it's sometimes hard to um, transfer the knowledge. So even though someone is watching me solve a problem on the screen, doesn't mean that they actually understand how to solve that problem in the future. On that note, do you think there's something that should be taught more specifically in comp that isn't currently taught? Like, are there gaps in course offerings that you believe maybe teaching problem solving first would help us overcome? Yeah, I really think that teaching problem solving first would make computing a lot more accessible to people because usually people go into computer science because they like solving problems and because they have that sort of mind that's tinkering and, well, I, I think, you know, tinkering and thinking and always trying to solve certain problems. But with cognitive load theory and everything that I've learned as well, it's actually quite hard to solve a problem that you've never seen a similar problem of before. You just don't have the bank to do it. And so... Often that really switches the students off, which is a real shame because it's in no way saying that they are not capable of doing the degree. Um, it's just saying that they haven't, they haven't encountered this kind of problem yet and they just need to see that kind of problem to be able to solve a similar problem. So on that note, what do you think the future of CSC education will be like? Is this a path that you want to pursue? I would love to try this out. I would love to divide it up and have a big section of how to solve problems because I think if you do that, then what you will actually also see, you will it'll be a lot more clear problems where you would like need to use arrays or linked lists to solve them because it would lend itself to those types of data structures as well. So it wouldn't be teaching the data structure and then forcing the information into it. It would be solving the problem and seeing, actually, I need something that will store information in a certain way. And then so changing the way, the order of events. Uh, okay, so would you say your overall teaching philosophy is sort of more geared towards like this idea of solving problems and teaching like mindsets then? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, the curriculum is still there, so you do have to cover the code as well, the code base. But I strongly believe in teaching like problem solving and also like student led. Um, I really love being asked questions. <laughs> so I hope I really, the online environment is so different. It's been a year of, um, you know, not more than a year now of not seeing any faces in a lecture theatre, which is so sad. Mm. Uh, back to the screens, but hopefully sometimes I've noticed people will ask more questions. 
but I think maybe by term three and week sort of 12 of lockdown, I think um, everyone's exhausted and there might be no questions at all. So I hope that we can maintain that sort of interactive pace and people ask lots and lots of questions because that is also a great way to learn. No question is too basic. Every question um, builds up knowledge and is important. What would you say your favourite thing about teaching is? Ah. Oh. I really love um, chatting with the students as well. So that's why I really miss the lecture theatres as well, because then students would usually approach you afterwards and you kind of get to know a little bit more about what they're doing. Um, it's so exciting what you guys have been doing. When I was at uni doing Compenge, uh, I'm not even sure there was a CSC society. I'm not really sure there was much going on at all. Um, you know, no lectures were recorded. It was like, it was really different um, and there were, there were social events on campus, but not as much as there is now. And I think probably that's what you guys miss the most. And I think yeah. I, I love seeing that as well. But yeah, that was the best part of going to uni, I think, all the social stuff associated with it. Yeah, I think both of us are missing missing going to campus. Yeah. Um, a bit of a different note, but what kind of person do you think makes like an ideal lecturer? I think someone who really wants, who really loves teaching, um, but also someone who really, really cares about the students um, and has a lot of empathy for them. Sometimes when you get older, it's easy to forget how hard it was being younger, I suppose, and how intense university can be when you leave school um, and suddenly you're kind of all on your own. Um, and I guess not so much this past year, but usually surrounded by so many fun social activities that university goes by the wayside, which is actually what happened to me for a year or two. Wait, can you tell us more about that? <laughs> well, I just, you know, there was so much to do at uni, so much, so many people to meet, so much conversation to have, so much sport to play that um, you just almost forgot to show up to class sometimes. <laughs> so that was... <laughs> Um, I, that's what I, I always feel like. I really feel bad for you guys missing out on that part of uni right now with COVID and all the mm -hmm. lockdowns. Um, and one last question about teaching in general. Um, I know you did like a lot of work um, teaching like younger kids. So we wanted to ask about like teaching younger kids programming specifically. Um, do you think applications like Scratch and that sort of visual coding thing is useful? So I did like back in the day, I think, well, sorry, you keep hearing my um, computer pinging as well. Um, so I also, before I even did my PhD, I did um, these code camps with kids uh, where they kind of learn how to program from scratch, but you had six and seven year olds uh, and things like scratch and things that are visual were so good in explaining to these kids um, the logic and how things go together. And it was just incredible what they could build in five days and how excited they would get when they got to choose what they were building as well, um, which is kind of also something that I would love to somehow bring into, um, you know, teaching these open-ended problems where you kind of get to go off and, and decide what you want to do because I think it just adds that, you know, you're very keen, you're very excited to do something. Um, so, yeah, I, I think things like Scratch are incredibly useful for kids to visualise things before they can break off into, you know, doing actual code because, uh, you know, seeing the terminal window or seeing, you know, even like Visual Studio, like seeing those windows is very overwhelming, especially when mm -hmm. you're young. You really want something basic 
that does not place a lot of load where they get to, uh, you know, move things around and they get to see, make mistakes and it's not, it doesn't feel like a big deal because sometimes when you're coding and you compile something and it spits out at you a page of warnings and errors, it's very, it's <laughs> yeah. very intense. It's very confronting. Um, whereas this is a lot more gentle and you want a gentle introduction. You don't want to be told you're wrong all the time. Um, I would have loved that type of introduction. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of introductions to coding, um, your next teaching project is Comp 1511, CSE's Notorious Beginner Programming course. Um, so what motivated you to teach this course? So um, I actually went off to Global and taught it for one term over at UNSW Global. Um, and then I came back. So I feel like 1511 is where it's all, it all starts. You either fall in love with it or you really don't fall in love with it. Um, and just when I did computing and when I first enrolled in computer engineering, I remember my first computing course, um, I was not falling in love with it at all. Um, and I just feel like there is sort of a better, maybe there is a better way to do it to make more people fall in love with it or at least feel neutral towards it but not hate it because what I've heard is very strong feelings on either side of the fence. No one's sitting on the fence. Uh, what would you say your expectations going into the course are? Well, uh, I mean including COVID, <laughs> including the lockdown, the expectations <laughs> are different. Um, I was really hoping to have some face-to-face -face classes, but obviously that is not happening. So uh, I guess we're fully online as well. My expectations are hopefully that students will feel comfortable enough to come and talk to us when they have problems, because uh, we really do want to help everyone. And uh, I hope that no one feels you know, completely sort of abandoned where they don't know what to do and they're just lost. I really want to, you know, start start with that as the basic sort of thing to fix, as in if you do not know what to do, please let us know. We will help you. So really my expectation is that students will feel comfortable speaking up, I hope. Do you have, like, any specific goals about the course? Well, I mean... I hope we hope to improve the problem solving side of things and to, you know, I don't know, try to focus a little bit on problem solving to see if that makes any difference to how people then approach the code as well. Um, my goal is really to improve it if possible. Um, already, you know, people feel very strongly about the course and it's been doing really well. It's been run really well. Um, so if we can do something small, a few small things to improve it, that would be fantastic. Uh, can you give us some examples of like what this problem solving might look like? Okay, so, uh, you know, for example, your first programming problem, you actually see the problem itself written down and then you might see how someone breaks down that problem into, so segments it into smaller parts. And I want people to be able to get down, to keep breaking it down until they get down to a point where they can solve something even if it's something very simple like you know print a new line oh yes i know how to do that tick and then move up a stage um so you're breaking it down to problems that are achievable and then you kind of build it back up again to see if you can put it all together um so that's that i mean that's just one way to do it another way is doing lots of worked examples which are currently done in the lectures but i guess um what i think as well would help maybe again again another experiment 
is to have the actual question as well. Um, so shown, not just, oh, we're going to do, you know, we're going to have an array that's going to say hello now and that's it. Um, but actually write down what that problem would look like in, in words and then break it down myself first and then build it back up so that um, students can see how they can break things up into smaller and smaller requirements. Because I guess also the assignment specs are very um, intense for 1511. And mm -hmm. I think when people see that, they might get a bit overwhelmed or maybe even a lot overwhelmed. Um, and having come from DP where, so from UNICEF Global where students, uh, English is not their first language, um, those specs were even more so um, very intense uh, and the first part of solving a problem is understanding the problem. And I think if we can make the problem easier to understand, then hopefully we can make it easier to solve. So we're hoping to also improve the specs for the assignments um, to really break them down into problems that students can, you know, solve. Yeah. Um, seeing as though there's usually like a really big skill gap for Comp 1511, like there's a lot of people who have this is like their first time ever coding and then there are those people who have been coding since they were like babies um how do you like make content that's suitable for like this huge range of people oh, that is it is one of the most difficult things to do to do that diversity of of learning where you're catering for someone that might be even an expert intermediate and also a novice so all of those uh, require very different styles of teaching. So it's actually very hard to cater for everyone um, at the same time. And, uh, you know, I know that 1511 has no assumed knowledge, no prerequisites, but obviously you do benefit from having uh, some knowledge uh, to enter this course. So we want to bring things down to basics um, to help those that have just started, which is the, you know, the big, that's the predominant number of people in the course, some people that have just started coding. And then we have uh, sort of challenge problems to keep um, students that have programmed in the past interested as well. And obviously each assignment also has harder sections um, for less marks that will keep you motivated and keep you challenged as well if you have done programming in the past as well. Um, and hopefully that kind of helps to, you know, ease that line as well. Um, but it's a very difficult line because each one of them requires very different styles of learning and teaching. Um, we spoke a bit earlier about being intimidated by comp when you start out. And like, I know a lot of people feel that way about comp 1511 as well. So um, how can we like help these students ease better into comp? Well, I there are so many avenues to get help and i know people do not like to you know ask for help but you know everyone is more than happy to help including me come to the help sessions you know come to the in your labs ask questions i think it's easier now to do that um than before you don't have to you know raise your hand no one knows who you are you just you go into the tutor's breakout room it's you and the tutor and you can get almost one-on-one -on -one help so if you don't understand something, someone can really explain it to you well. Um, and also on that one-on-one -on -one basis where you get, you know, you get to ask a question. And also, I, I, I guess I'm far removed from school now, but no question is stupid. Every question is really important. Even if you think you're asking a stupid question, 
I bet you that like 50 other people have the same question and don't want to ask it. Um, I think once you have a small misunderstanding or a small gap that you've missed, it really builds up um, and leads to gaps further on. If you can ask those basic questions, they help so much to build your understanding. And it, it, it makes a huge difference to then solving much harder problems as well. So I think please, 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 uh, if you are listening and you're going to join us in 1511, please feel free to ask questions lots of questions in the lecture, after the lecture, on the forums, in the help sessions, because we're happy to answer them and we, uh, we've we set ourselves up in such a way that we have enough people to answer all of your questions. Uh, I know that um, normally when we're in person, tutors will like go around the labs to see if anyone has issues. Um, How do we like check up on students during lockdown um, and like make sure that they're still going okay, even if they may be too shy to ask questions. Yeah, so one way we've we've sort of tried to do it and we're trying, we're going to be doing it in term three is if someone doesn't submit a few weeks of labs, we will email them to check that they're doing okay. Um, and if they need any help um, or if they haven't submitted part of their assignment, we will check in with them to see if they're okay and if they need any help. And the biggest thing is we are not there to shame you into submitting something. We really just want to see if you need some help because it can get very overwhelming. You're doing quite a few subjects. Um, lockdown fatigue is real. Everyone is over it. Um, so sometimes you just need a little bit of just a little bit of help to get, or a little bit of motivation, a little bit of oomph to get you started. And hopefully we can provide that. I hope so. Uh, yes, so now moving on from 1511, before deciding to teach this course, you also lectured Comp 3511, 4511 and Design 2000, all of which focus largely on UI, UX design and human interaction with technology. So why did you decide to switch from something down that path to 1511? So um, my area is uh, cognitive load theory, which applies to both really. Um, and so I will still be returning to Desen because I really, really, really love that uh, user-centered um, design. And having been out in industry, I've seen that, you know, when you rush to code, you don't check with your stakeholders. Um, you know, you have bad requirements. Uh, the whole project is usually just a dumpster fire. Um, so the, the principles are the same, like how do the limitations of our working memory affect you know, what we do. And so in 1511, that is really affecting, uh, you know, where, how we solve our problems. And I feel also, uh, you know, we introduce people to computing and um, we go, I think we go to subjects before we even tell them about requirements, uh, which I think also should be shifted, you know, towards the beginning where people are forced to break down that problem and find what requirements they're trying to get from a problem. So I don't know, I just wanted to see how 1511 is done, what we can do to improve um, the student experience overall, and also what we can, you know, do to improve problem solving, and maybe just see how, I've always done sort of third year computing, fourth year computing, I'm interested to see how it is in the first year where you really either get the students to love it, or they are really not into it. I did have one student do HCI where, you know, that was their third year and they basically wrote me an email saying, you know, I've done 
three years worth of computing now and I never really particularly enjoyed any of it, which is, you know, I feel like you should change degrees at that point. But finally <laughs> I found something that, you know, that I quite enjoy in computing. And so I feel like if we have more people like me who are not just all about coding in first year computing, I can also show you that there are different paths to take in computing. Coding might not be for you. It, it is a skill in itself and it's, you know, a certain problem solving skill. And it's okay if you're not the best at it. There are other things in computing that can hold your interest and that can keep you, um, you know, excited about your career choices as well, because it's something that you will go out there and you'll do for a long time afterwards. So I hope that I can bring that with me, just this different aspect um, and knowledge that you can go another way. You don't have to just code. <laughs> yeah, so other than that problem solving aspect, is there anything else you learned from teaching these third or fourth year courses that you wanted to translate into 1511? Well, one thing I would love to translate is good error messages to start with. That is one of the cornerstones of good computing. and. I've seen people write error messages, printf, error in big letters, exclamation mark, close quotation marks, done. Um, that is not a good error message. It has not said anything. You haven't done anything. You haven't told the user anything. So you haven't told them what's happened, why it's happened, or how to recover from the error. I hope to bring that uh, forward as well. Um, and also, uh, I'm a bit of a oh, perfectionist with code style. I really love if you don't have nice looking code that I cannot read, I don't want to read it. And that comes from my time in the industry. I was a testing engineer for a long time and the amount of bad code I had to read uh, was horrifying. And I feel like that's also another thing that you have to get at the very start when people get used to coding, then they get used to doing things in a certain way. But once you make bad habits, they're very hard to break as in, you know, normal life and in coding as well. So, uh, nice looking code, good variable names, um, <laughs> good error messages, uh, make things easy to read, make things easy to understand. Someone might take over your code base and they need to be able to know what's going on. Yes, yeah, so a bit more generally, what was your favourite part about teaching these courses? So I, I've got, my family is like, so my parents were both engineers my grandparents were both artists um, and then they kind of like alternate who who does engineering and then who goes back to the arts and I love well I somehow got the best of both worlds and in teaching those types of subjects I get to do the design aspect which I find um, so fascinating I love um, visual design and all of that associated uh, theories and I also love um, the technical stuff as well so combining the two of them is just a dream. Oh, sounds so fun. And what was the biggest challenge you faced teaching these courses? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges is by the time people get to third and fourth year, they don't take those types uh, of um, things seriously. They've done coding for so long um, and then they kind of get there and it's, it's a very sort of human-centered approach. Um, they suddenly get taught something completely different. Suddenly you're bringing in visual design. Um, and I think uh, students uh, are not as into it as they are into code. They don't think it's, it's done out in, in the real world, which it is. Um, so I think that's a really, that's a huge challenge. Uh, and for them, for them to then 
go on and use these principles as well in there's not really that much left of their degree so i hope that they take some of it out to industry but um i think we really need more uh, those types of courses to show students that there is a path and there is you know designing your software with the user in mind is is a pretty good idea and on that note are there any courses you think that are a must-take in university that can maybe bridge this gap between as you say the third year maybe the first year where it's very code focused um well, I'd be very biased. I'd say Comfrey 511, Desert. Well, I, mean, I guess everyone will have to take Desert at some stage because that's becoming a core course or it was always a core course, I think. I'm not sure. But I guess that will improve in how it's taught as well and hopefully that will help to bridge the gap. Um, and then they're hoping, I think, to bring more of those types of courses. I think those project-based courses are really important as well. It is your soft skills are very, very, very important when you go out to industry. It's, it's super important to be able to work as part of a team, to be able to communicate well and to learn how to sort of deal with different, you know, different members of the group as well. And I think uh, which courses, there's not really much wiggle room in the computer engineering courses. There's not even that many electives you can take. That's, um, I suppose, if you're going to take electives and general ed study units you should try and do ones that are outside of engineering or computing um i know when i did it i had two gen eds and i took um two kofa courses which were fantastic you know it was one was all about thinking divergent thinking convergent just how to sort of uh, brainstorm and, and really get the most out of uh, solving problems or looking at issues and the other one was all about design and they were both really fantastic because they were so different to anything that I've done. I think it's good to do something so different to your normal degree so you get to see what the other side of the coin is like. Okay, um, a little bit of a strange question, but I think it's a rite of passage to ask this to CSE lecturers. So um, does pineapple belong on pizza or not? <laughs> uh it does not belong on pizza in, in fact this is an argument i have with my best friend all the time because that's her favorite pizza so always i have to get one pineapple pizza one no but i actually also i do not like pineapple so pineapple doesn't belong anywhere for me so mine is a biased reply that's i probably would love it if i love pineapple um so what are your plans for the future like are you interested in like doing more research or like continuing to lecture more courses? Yeah, so um, I hope to be uh, doing 1511 um, some of the year and then um, go back to sort of HCI as well, some of the year as well, and DESN. I also hope to be able to do some research. Um, I've become quite fascinated uh, whether uh, problem solving in first year will help you to actually become a better coder or to enjoy it more. Um, so that could be one one little um, thing that I get to explore and with 1511 as well, it's a good place to explore it. Um, so yeah, I hope, um, I think I will, I hope to lecture 1511 once a year and maybe um, do more HCI sort of stuff another part of the year as well. Mm -hmm. um, for listeners, how can they be better students? How can they 
pick up what you're putting down, as you might say. Yeah, I so with with coding and with any like sort of even maths, you really you're not going to be good at it by doing two questions. You're just not. It's not that kind of skill. It's the knowledge requires you to practice something a lot. So um, we're here to help you. I'm here to help you. But you have to go off and do work as well. Um, unfortunately, it's not just magic. I wish it was. My mum used to have the same where before an exam, you should put your textbook under your pillow and then all the knowledge goes from the textbook to my head. Um, lots of very sore necks as I slept on textbooks. It does not work um, either. But you can't, it doesn't, yeah, unfortunately, knowledge doesn't come across that way. You have to practice. So you've got to do lots of lots of different questions before the concepts click. click. So I guess there's a lecture, there's a tutorial, there's a lab, but you also have to go off and do your own questions as well um, to try and practice the skills um, that we're teaching you. So you, you do have to, you do have to do quite a lot of work to succeed in computing, I feel. Um, if you could give any advice to students listening to this podcast, what would it be? Ask lots of questions. <laughs> I feel like I'm a broken <laughs> record. Um, I think everyone loves questions. Um, and you know, when you ask questions, you kind of, you also, you show an interest in, in what that person is saying as well. And so everyone is more than happy to answer your questions. I think even if it's something very simple, you know, it's, if it helps you to establish any understanding, it's a question worth asking. Um, and it's always worth to question everything as well in life. Why not? It's fun to ask questions. Um, wait, one more question. How can we teach students to like think of and ask better questions? Sometimes when I know students sit in lectures and their like minds are like completely empty, no, no thoughts. So like, how can we like encourage them to get more curious? Yeah, so I guess um, it's a very fair question. I guess I also have a tendency to zonk out when someone speaks to me for an hour on end. And I think that's where, you know, having that more interactive um, sort of style as well will come in if we do things together in the lecture or I perhaps get you to reflect on something and you, you unfortunately have to think for a little bit of the time. Um, then that will perhaps uh, get you to ask questions. But if you don't have lectures during a lecture, that's okay as well. Uh, you know, you might re-watch a video or you might not re-watch the video or you might never watch the video, but you might get a question when you're doing something or you are attempting a question and shoot. And then, you know, go and ask that question on the forum. Go and ask that question in your tutorial. Go and ask that question in the lab. Um, and... Yeah, it's fair enough to be zonked out. You know, actually research shows you can only concentrate on someone speaking to you for 12 to 15 minutes at a time. Oh. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close off the podcast? Oh, I, I don't know. Term three, this is going to be the last term for, I can't remember what year is it, 2021. It's been like Groundhog Year, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Month. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. Just ask lots of questions, be curious, um, you know, make sure that you really love what you're doing because if you really, really hated at uni, the subjects that you're doing, you might, you know, you still have to go out to industry and work for a long time. So try and find a branch that you really enjoy because, um, you know, you're there for a long time and you, you really want to enjoy what you're doing and have some curiosity about it, which causes you to go and, you know, read outside um, and get to know more and stuff. So, um, yeah, I hope that you guys can 
have a good term three um, and that we can have a good Christmas uh, or, you know, good holidays, just good December, good summer where we get to move more than five kilometres from our house and um, <laughs> see friends, be able to have friends over. That will be so exciting. Right, I'll just wrap up with our outro. Thank you so much, Sasha, for taking the time to speak with us. Got a lot of valuable insight from our conversation. And thank you a lot to our listeners. It's important to us to make content that you're interested in. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Echo Podcast, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye for now. Thank, thank you. you. Bye.